Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Vs. Radio. This is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, I'm very honored to have as uh, my special guest, singer, drummer extraordinaire, Jeff Ayer. Jeff is well known for his time in the hometown band in the 1970s, but he's done much more both before and after that. So we'll be talking about music and travels and the business of music and the life of a career entertainer. We'll get some other insights as well about life in the music biz as we get into our discussion. So where were you from originally? Well, f- originally born in Manchester, England, emigrated yes. in 1954. My father, uh, after the war, went to Edmonton, yep. Alberta, oh. and was working there. So we ended up in Edmonton. Oh, okay. And uh, and so more or less, I spent about two, maybe almost twenty years in Edmonton, and then moved to Vancouver, and that's when everything else began. Okay, because I yeah I, I didn't know that. And then uh, how did you end up in Vancouver? Was it a music thing or just? Uh... Yes, it was a music thing. Uh, we had our man Graham and the Wafers, and we were uh, completely original, and we did some fabulous things in Edmonton. And there were uh, more often than not groups that would come from Vancouver to Edmonton and we'd play uh, U of A or, or there weren't too many clubs or some yeah. other gigs. And they always had, if I may say, good pot. <laughs> yeah. And they had, well, uh, they always had tans and they had this different style of music, you know? Yeah. And cool. uh, I thought, oh, that was pretty cool. So when, uh, when things were all over for the wafers, cause we tried our darndest and uh, we were just too ahead of our time, I guess at that point. Yeah. I thought, and what well, year would that have been Jeff? That would have been nineteen. Oh, that was sixty-five to sixty-nine. Yeah, there you go. When we opened up for the Who, we were just uh, uh, we set the standards as far as I'm concerned in Edmonton. We just uh, yeah, it was a fabulous group. But then uh, again, moved to Vancouver after that because uh, I actually uh, hitchhiked out there to see what the uh, what it was all about, and then decided to move there. And it, it began, and I ran into Terry Jacks, and did that particular session. And yep. uh, ran into Bob Buckley and Dave Sinclair and Cat Hendricks from yeah. uh, Spring. Yeah. And uh, they liked what we did when they saw us in Edmonton as the wafers. So I got a break there. And uh, 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 the group that I ended up joining was Hans Stamer, who's also right. in Edmonton. And that was in 74. And then 75, hometown band, and so on and so on, you know? Yeah. Well, interesting. So your musical influence, did you did you have family influence or you just decided one day to start playing drums and, and voice? And, well, Because you're a singing drummer, right? Which is very yes. unusual. Like you sing very well and play Thank very you. well. So that's a good Thank combination you. and it's a rare one. Thank you. Yeah. But yes, with uh, uh, my, my dad's dad was a musician. Okay. And of course, when I and they didn't get along, so when I sort of had the bug, it was just a gift, Dan. I, I could just yeah. do it, you know. Good. And I sang in a choir, so with no lessons, I could just do it. And uh, so, um, of course, when I started playing the drums, and there were just tin cans and boxes all over the place, yep. you know, <laughs> with a couple of friends. Uh, one, Derry Stewart, whose uh, father was Stu Davis, uh, a great uh, uh, Canadian troubadour. Mm. Um, uh, and we'd start writing our own stuff. And um, cool. I finally got a drum kit and started playing. And and that was the beginning of everything. Uh, I could just yeah, do no, it. Cool. And yeah. yeah. So when you came to Vancouver, obviously, you had been a guy that people would want to have in the band. Well, obviously, with good talent, good flavor, and the voice. Open some doors for you? Yes, it did. Uh, uh, Hans, whom I knew in Edmonton, but they were uh, a different group, uh, Famous Last Words. 
and um, I ran into him again in Vancouver, and uh, I, I'd met Tom Lavin because he went, came to Vancouver. Tom Lavin from right. the Putter Blues, from yeah, Chicago, Chicago, about the same. Yeah, that's right. yeah, about the same year, and we'd oh, hang cool. out. And he wasn't doing the blues at that time, and he was looking for a studio, and he was playing bass with uh, hands in '74. Okay. I was just uh, playing around with various people before that, and. Uh, you got me an audition at a place called Psychord with Robin Spurgeon. It's like a two two track machine, you know. <laughs> wow! Unreal. And there was uh, Robbie King, Doug Edwards, yeah. Eddie Patterson, and Hans and Tom. So I auditioned, which I had never auditioned before. I thought, can't you just tell, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and I passed, and um, yeah, of course. And Tom and I had a great time. We became uh, and we still are the best of friends. Okay. Oh, and then again, things moved forward, Dan, in a very very positive way. Yeah, well, very cool. And, and Hans had some good uh, success around here, I guess, and some radio success and that. So that that kind of morphed into the hometown band, or was that a totally different project? Well, it was interesting, that, because Hans was a bluesish guy from Hamburg, and he said when he saw Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee in his hometown of Hamburg, Germany, he, that was it. He was uh, also yeah. a jeweler, which is what is his trade. Oh. And uh, when he moved to Edmonton, then he eventually moved to uh, Vancouver, and we got Robbie King and Doug and Eddie, and and uh, it just turned out to be a great group. But what really happened, Dan, was uh, it was about seven into, and we did an album. Um, yeah. It was about seventy, late seventy four, uh, and I was working with Bruce Miller. If you remember Bruce, yeah. From from um, oh, he wrote. Uh, he went to Nashville and wrote some songs for for uh dixie chicks and so on okay but yeah, anyway, i didn't uh, know him but uh, okay yeah he was a fine musician an american gentleman yeah and so uh he would hire me to do some gigs it was it was, wasn't folky it was original stuff but it wasn't folky but it was lighter side of things okay and there was a program we do the interior of bc and there was a program uh, uh out of cbc called the great canadian gold rush and that was produced by Claire Lawrence, who was the sax player for the hometown right. band and the leader. Okay. And yeah. they had a mobile studio. So with when I was playing with Bruce, we were ended up in uh, Vernon playing somewhere. And I was playing with Bruce. And uh, lo and behold, the uh, Claire was there with the, uh, the whole uh, mobile studio and recording things. Okay. So that was fine. So, yeah. uh, and, and time went on, uh, you know, maybe another six months. And I get a phone call and it's... Uh, Claire, he said, this Jeff Aaron. I said, yeah, this is Claire Lawrence, producer of Valdi. I went, oh, cool. He said, uh, would you like to do Valdi's next album? Well, it took oh. me about two seconds to say yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next <laughs> question. I, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but then I had to ask him, why me? He said, well, you know, Jeff, I heard you play, and you play great folk drums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never knew there was such a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and well, that was I the think- beginning. Yeah, if I read into that though, it's the feel, it's the flavor, right? It's true. You got to get true. a flavor. Yeah, it must, and the feel is so essential. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, no, that's cool. So that's the Claire Lawrence connection, and then of course you're off to the races. And and Robbie King, I used to get to play with Robbie a lot down at the American when he hung out there because he played down there all the time. But Danny what would you Tripper. like playing with him? And, oh, yeah, Danny Tripper and Jerry. Yeah, and, yeah. It, it was outstanding, Dan. It, it, we locked in immediately with all those guys. Yeah. I guess we were all either born with a gift and just feel that yeah. it just clicked immediately. And we, we were always good. I and mean, we were always a good band. And we had great yeah. harmonies, great tunes. And it was the, the, one of the finest bands I've ever been in, all things yeah. considered. You know, we did things 
original and our way. So when we won the Juno, I thought to myself, which somebody was actually listening because it was different uh, style and genre of music at that time. Yeah. But we went different places. In fact, A&M Records, our first album, on the B side, there were two songs, and nobody ever did that. Oh. You know, one was twenty minutes long, and one was ten. <laughs> it was like, how did you do that? But they allowed it, and yeah. uh, we actually wanted judo for. But I thought that was pretty cool, so we did it our way, and it worked out real yeah. good, Dan. Oh, very good. So, did you sing on that as well? Did you get to do some harmonies and stuff, or was that? Oh, absolutely. After? I sang yeah, a few okay. tunes, but I, I've never considered myself a lead singer, unless it was probably the the right kind of tune, but. Oh, yeah. absolutely. We had five-part harmony, and I had a gift, and and I had an ear, so we had a ball yeah. doing that, and uh, it was yeah, just no, so great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm a bit confused about the whole timeline thing. You know, I've often said to my guests, like, the, the timelines are so short, and everyone's playing musical chairs. Like, people are in different bands. Like, like it, so the hometown band, and then it morphed into Valdi, and then I guess he went on his own, and then Pied, Pied Pumpkin and Pied Pear. Can you sort that all out for me and explain? Yes. Uh, Pied, Valdi was being managed. Claire was uh, Valdi's producer, and he was with AM Records. This is about 1975. Okay. Because yeah. he had the hit song, uh, rock and roll song in 72, right. which finally won him the Folk Juno Award, which there isn't okay. anymore, because uh, Gordon Lightfoot would always win it. But because yeah. of Baldi's uh, rock and roll song, he won the Juno in 1972. Oh, cool. Yeah. And Claire was producing him. And uh, Cliff Jones, who's passed, was his manager. And um, uh, when it came time, uh, when Claire called me to do an album with Baldi, Sherry was asked to come and do some fiddle playing. And Jerry Sheff, an L.A. player, a killer player, uh, played some bass. And all the guys that ended up in the band were there as studio players. Okay. And uh, you got Sherry because she was in a band called the Pied Pumpkin with Rick Scott okay. and uh, Joe Mock. Yeah. And uh, we got her to do some uh, violin and cello playing. And and then we took it on the road to just backing up Baldy, uh, but we were allowed to do two songs of our own. And okay. it was pretty good, you know. And uh, yeah. Claire said, well, uh, we got to start a band, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Bruce Miller had uh, penned a song called Hometown Band mm. on Baldy's uh, uh, album that we did. And okay. so we decided to do that, but we needed to replace a couple of players just because it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And Sherry was one of them. I was another. Robbie King was, was the guy and uh, um, um, Doug Edwards and Sherry yeah. Elric. And there was no bass yeah. per se on the very first album. Yeah. But uh, so the Pied Pear, Pied Pumpkin had their own world going on. Okay. I and, see. Uh, and then uh, we... Uh, put the band together and toured as a package with Valdi and the hometown band. Okay. And that went over really well. And we did a lot of touring and that was really a fine, fine time that, and we did our own album with that matter of fact. Yeah. No, it's cool. But so it was Valdi, it became Valdi and the hometown band and then Valdi did stuff on his own too, or else it was just billed as Valdi as well. Right. Did he kind of. Yes. Valdi take- was always, yeah. Always, uh, even to this day, he'll just f- drive or fly back to the Maritimes and, Bivaldi, because he's he's a consummate folk singer. He'll sing about whatever the issues are in any given province and replace some of the words with the goings on. And it was fabulous, you know? Yeah, no, that's great. No, I, of course, big fan of of all you guys and and all those tunes and that and Peter and Lou and 
Yeah. And rock and roll song, of course, was awesome. And, <laughs> and um, did you, and you played on the second album, is that right? The hometown band? You Were you on the first album or the second one? Both of them. Both. Okay. You played on both. Okay. The volume in the oh, hometown great. band was the first one. Then we put the band together uh, with uh, the players that were uh, the, to remain and yeah. did uh, the first album. Then we did a second album. Okay. And have you remained in contact with them and friends with them? I see you did in 2016, you did that reunion show. I watched a bunch of that at Blue Frog. Yeah, that was pretty cool, Dan. Uh, Robbie had passed on and Doug had cancer and couldn't play. So we had to replace them, which was very, very hard. Yeah. Yet um, Michael Krieber uh, did the job of Robbie King, which I found was rather astounding because there is no other Robbie King, you know, and uh, he learned it all. It was quite remarkable. And, uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I didn't miss the boys because we had a, th- a magic that will never be replaced. And uh, yeah. But it went okay, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and that's uh, it gets back to the question I uh, brought up earlier about, you know, there's so many member changes. When you look back at the timelines, these bands were short-lived, you know, and people are changing and in and out. And, and why do you think that is? Like you're shuffling the deck, looking for the right combination or road stresses or record companies, money issues, personalities. I mean. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, I know with the hometown band, we were doing great things. We couldn't quite, we were just too different to really break any kind of, uh, um, to, to make you know, things move forward. Yeah. And Robbie King just said, well, I, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to do something else, which he never did. But I guess maybe he just got bored or something. Yeah. But, uh, and the short-lived thing is not uncommon. Uh, sometimes it's a money thing or the band if it's a band, I mean, you look at Aerosmith or Metallica, they're still together after all these years. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know who the drummer is for, uh, for Metallica, but there's some reason that they stay together for 25, 30 years. It's the same band. So there's gotta be some incentive, Mm -hmm. you know, and songwriters can tend to, and if they're the lead singer, uh, they may get a little bit weird or the record company says, you don't need the band. You're the writer. Come with us. Yeah. So if you can get a band that everybody contributes, maybe you don't get the lion's share, but there is incentive to stay together. Well, yeah, you're right. And and that magical formula, that's what everybody's yes. looking for, right? Yes. Find the thing that clicks, right? The feel. Absolutely. And, and, you know, so when you get that, it sure, sure sucks when it goes away. Oh, and, totally, Dan. Uh, yeah. And what I noticed about Robbie, and I, I saw Robbie lots in the 90s, but he had kind of you know, he was just more relaxed. He just wanted to have a couple of beers and play his, his Hammond <laughs> and he smoking his cigarettes or his finger look like two cheesies. Right. And he'd put it on the Hammond and then he, he'd play. Yeah. He, <laughs> he, he played great foot bass. I'm telling you, man, that guy was oh, amazing. Great. Yeah. No, really good. But I think, you know, again, the, the hunger, like you have to be really hungry to go and go out and get that and all the, and deal with all the crap and all the record companies and the business and the personalities and stuff. It's tough. Like a lot of guys just walk away from it. Right. It's so true. I mean, you get that magic, that chemistry. It's hard to find. I mean, to this day, you know, uh, where I live, it's I can't find anybody in the little town I'm living that can, at least I'm going to be an ego thing, but come up to the standards that I'm spoiled with, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, when you find it, uh, and in those days, like in 70s, 80s, 90s, it's like a treat because it's always good. Everybody reads. They know what they're doing. And it's yeah. outstanding. And things happen that don't move forward fast enough and then somebody leaves and it's a darn shame because uh it's a rare thing you know 
Yeah, well, that's right. And, and finding those people, I mean, you, you've gone on, like I said, you have a great reputation, an A-list drummer and singer, which is, is rare, but you've done lots of other things too. You went on to lots of other projects, right? And you, you were, you mentioned, uh, um, the Straight Lines guys and, uh, that you worked with them. Yes, I did. It was Straight Lines. Like David um, Sinclair. Yeah. So right now, yeah. they, they had, uh, they did an album before I joined. It was with, uh, um, Oh gosh, I can't remember the name. Dar- well, Peter Patton was the drummer, and uh, Daryl Burgess was the other drummer. Daryl Burgess, yeah, that's right. And then whatever happened, they hired me because I guess I could do it all and sing, and yeah. that was a fun thing. And, oh, yeah. uh, and the band was uh, well. Uh, um, uh, Bob Buckley was the jingle writer, and Dave Sinclair. This is at Little Mountain Sound. Was a studio guitar player. Yeah, and brilliant. So the band was more of a yeah studio band. So, and after okay. a couple of years, it was okay. But I kind of wanted to move forward, so I got a job with the Headpins for a couple of years. Oh wow! Okay, and did an album with them. Yeah. Okay, and cool. became a session guy uh, as a player in various studios. And one one interesting thing, Dan was. Uh, I could sing, so I'm, I'm a more of a background singer. I can I can just hear all the notes. And yeah. it was one time I get a call uh, to come and do some vocals with these two guys from England. You know, this is a little mountain. Yeah. So I came down and 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 I found out the reason they hired me was because I could do all the parts myself, as Billy Cowsill could do. Right? You just right. put on a part and and find the the five, the six, the nine, whatever you, and you can find it. Well, yeah. we did that with one song for these two gentlemen. They were British. I didn't know who they were at the time. And there I was, just me. And I'm, you know, and I didn't think much of it. It wasn't an ego. It wasn't a, a uh, intense and nervous anxiety. It was nothing at all like that, Dan. It was, uh, you just knew you had something that you could just do, you know? Yeah. And so cool. I, I did the song, and the song turned out to be uh, Your Wildest Dream by the Moody Blues. Wow, and I didn't know that they didn't say anything about who they were. They they were totally cool guys, you know, not full of themselves, and and I didn't know till till I finally got a uh, royalty check for uh, a side man. Somebody uh, oh. put that together, and that was a pretty cool thing. I don't know how they track the the songs that you sing or play on, so you're not in the band, and there's no no royalties. You get a, a particular right. salary, and that's yeah. it. But, but then came this yeah. this. Uh, this uh, uh, check and uh, and and the readout of of what the songs were and who they were. Wow! And cool. I'd forgotten some of the things because <laughs> you know playing or singing because there's so many. And then yeah. there was on the bottom it said uh, Moody Blues and I went, whoa, what the heck's what? that? Yeah, yeah, I thought well, they must Jeez. have the wrong name. I'm not going to tell them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I logged in and looked it up and played it and went, hmm, interesting. Yep. And then I heard the Bee Gees and went, oh. That's, That's who me. they were. I had <laughs> no funny. idea. And I listened to oh, it today yeah. and go, that was pretty good, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you make a good point, though, about the uh, the work for hire and then getting residuals and stuff, right? Typically, if you're a studio guy, you go in, you get your whatever they pay you, and then you go, and that's it. That's exactly right, Dan, because mm-hmm. uh, whomever it was, uh, Rick Hopkins turned me on to that. He was the organ player for Colin James. Right. And he said, you know, you've done a lot of sessions. You could be making a bunch of money. So he gave me the number. I phoned the lady. And she said, oh, there you are. So then I get the first readout and the check. And it was pretty pretty good money. It was, uh, it's yeah. nothing like a, a, an actual royalty for songwriting by any means. Right. But it was uh, interesting. And I looked up some of the uh, 
the artists that I had played with, and I yeah. some of them I didn't remember, you know. Yeah, there you go. I, I don't know how they track that stuff. One <laughs> song funny. on one album that was done forty years ago. How did you find me? <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, is it true that you that you did some playing for Terry Jacks, but it was uncredited? Yes. That, that, that's what's the deal with that? Well, that was Terry. Uh, they just didn't get credits as, as to who played on it. We were just more or less side guys. It wasn't a band. Okay. The band was so, a, a poppy family, right? Before yeah, that. Right. But no, we were just playing, hired to play. That's it. Thank you. Bye. Here's your money. And that was the end of that. So that's a perfect example of what we were just talking about. Right? Exactly. Just, and, and you don't even get your name on the album, but no, so you I can don't. brag about it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you have to say, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so did you, did you play on Seasons in the Sun? Is that you? Yep. There you go. And and that was a, a worldwide hit too, because that was a hit in the States yeah. as well, right? F- funny that, so. Dan, because it was, uh, he, I believe, I don't know what part he wrote, maybe the music or the lyrics, but it was a, uh, on Broadway play called uh, Jacques Burrell. Okay. And, uh, and I don't know the full story, but he wrote a song about that. And, uh, and uh, uh, well, I wrote a song more or less um, mirroring the play itself. So then he gets a call. The song went such a hit that the people who put the play together and wrote the real lyric song gave him 30% of the publishing, which made him rich. Oh, well, That's of course. A lot of yeah, money. That, you could retire on that. Yeah, and he did. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I interviewed Susan and I knew her. And, yeah. and before she passed away, I interviewed her and, and had quite a long talk with her. And I asked her about all that stuff. And she yeah. wasn't very flattering about her situation no, there and how she was treated she was so yeah. great too oh unbelievable like her timbre and her voice and I her know. control and it's just unbelievable yeah terry was so a bit good. i thought a bit hard on her you know we should have let her let her go and do her thing you know because she was too international didn't she well I yeah believe, she did she wrote some yeah. songs but that didn't work out too well and yeah. she should have yeah. been she should have been comfortable off of the poppy family stuff if she'd have been treated properly i think she would have been i fully agree made a pile of money and and she said later on terry put out lots of um compilations and repackaged things and she got zero from that and that's wrong you know it's so wrong you know absolutely so yeah but that's the dirty dirty side of the business i guess isn't that so so? uh, and getting dirtier every day (laughs) oh yeah yeah so what was the deal with the powder blues like why did you not end up in that band i mean juris played in the band i guess and and he was the, the ultimate blues guy right yeah well um uh, I don't know. Tom just—he uh, didn't. I don't think he knew I could play the blues, or, or knew what okay. I could play, because he only heard right. me with a couple act, acts that were rock, you know. Yeah. So Anduris was outstanding, and he got Wayne Kozak oh, yeah. and uh, all the horn players, and Jack Lavin, his brother, and uh, yeah. And they just—it was just uh, magic. And I did uh, tour with them a couple of times because the band broke up not long after the first album, because I guess right. there was some discrepancy and in credits and such, you know, and everybody got yeah. a little upset and they departed. Hmm. But so I was on the short list as to who was available to go and tour. So I did a, yeah. a few, few, oh, a few years, quite a few years yeah. of being out and back and out and back. And uh, wow. that was fun because I liked their yeah. blues. I liked their blues more than just the 12 bar. It had something going on, you know, it was, yeah, it was I think, good. I think you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's more than just the 12 bar shuffles. The old joke about shuffle hell, the drummer's in hell. And every time he plays anything other than a shuffle, he gets a poker in the side. <laughs> like totally. hell. 
absolutely. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, so man. you played with lots of guys. I mean, I tried to go down the list and, um, you know, between the, the Terry Jacks and Hans Stamer and Claire Lawrence and all those guys. Did you ever play with Bim? Yes, I did a two, uh, an album with Bim. Uh, oh, okay. uh, Kid Full of Dreams was the album. Nice. Okay. We did that in Little Mountain and we did some gigs. Nice. I uh, did uh, two albums with Sherry Ulrich when uh, yep. the hometown band uh, split. And I uh, did an album with Claire Lawrence. Uh, we had a band after the hometown band had split with Dave Pickell and Harris Van Burkle and uh, Peter Clark on bass. Nice. And yeah. we called ourselves The Knives. We didn't tour oh, much, that, but yeah. Claire was with A&M too, so that was fun, all instrumental. Yeah, and, cool. um Yeah, uh, various individual artists. Let me think of the Wade Brothers, yeah. uh, Nancy Nash, uh, oh, nice. Joni Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she's and the list goes on. Not that far, but so, it goes on. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a headpins connection with you too. Did you know Brian McLeod and and those guys? No, I didn't. You know, I knew uh, 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 Brian Wadsworth, who was uh, uh, the okay. manager. Yeah. Of uh, yeah, and uh, Sam Feldman, whom was uh, the agent, whom, whom I never got along with. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, but I just never did. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well. And um, yeah. Brian phoned me to see if I wanted to play. I guess I was the drummer of the 80s. And it was most in demand, which I never thought of. I never knew. And it didn't yeah. really matter. You know, it was yeah. just me. And Brian called and said, do you want to do an album? And I went, sure. And yeah. uh, they had Bernie Auburn as the drummer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess in the studio, we just couldn't do it for whatever reason. You know, some get scared as soon as the red light goes on. It's like, whoa, mm. you know. Yeah. So I did the, that album with him. And uh and Darby, well, that band actually, Dan, was put together because at that point in time, Ab Bryant was the bass player and Brian McLeod was the guitar player for Chilliwack, another version yeah. of Chilliwack. Yeah, they were still playing, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Brian was playing drums sometimes. And uh, because they weren't really working or touring at all, Brian decided to put a band together as, as a club band. Right. So we got Darby. I can't remember which band she was with. And Ab she was brought a steel, Ab with them. Steelback, yeah. She was a steelback. Okay. It was a local club act, yeah. Cool. But yeah, it's she, interesting yeah. what you say about uh, what you said about Bernie, because um, you know Bernie and Brian had an on again, off again relationship. I think he said he was in and out of that band for a few times. Yeah, <laughs> for, for yeah, various he, reasons. Various reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. But then uh, Darby was cool, and they wrote yeah. the tunes. And Brian was a yeah. serious musician, and it was a fun band. Yeah, good. It was oh, hard cool. rock, I tell you. You beat your brains yeah. out, but by all means. You know. Oh, yeah. Well, then, so with you, too, that's the other thing that's been your strength, is you've played basically everything. From even, yeah. even when I listen to air music, that's your air music stuff is country. So you've played blues, country, folk, Latin. rock, whatever. Latin, yeah, whatever, which yep. is great. Yeah. Well, my sister, yeah. uh, she was, uh, uh, let's see. I was living in Kits. It was what eighty something, and I had a bit of a studio downstairs. And my sister was uh, writing lyrics. She was kind of, uh, as she had mentioned in her childhood, a bit troubled. And <laughs> she said one time, yeah. "I found some old writings that I wrote when I was like eighteen. Boy, was I ever oh. a mess, <laughs> you know." But yeah. uh, she, she uh, uh, we met, and she gave me some lyrics, and I said, "Whoa, is this your life?" She goes, well, no, it's my friends phoned me and it's their life, you know? Oh, and it was yeah. strictly that country uh, weekend center or uh, you left me or you had too many, you know, the country lyric of the yeah. day. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so we wrote a bunch and I put the music to it 
and uh, I did all the background vocals, and we hired various other artists, as in yeah. Willie McCalder and uh, 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 Tim Hersey and Brent Schindel. And Robbie, and Robbie played King. on some of that. Yeah. Yes, he did. And uh, Gary Como played some fiddle, and it was really quite quite cool, you know. So that's your and, sister, uh, Lorraine, right? Yes, Lorraine. Lorraine, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that was pretty neat. So we we did it, and uh, Lynn Taylor Donovan uh, recorded two of the songs, and uh, uh, that was pretty cool. She's done quite well for herself, more overseas yeah. than here. And right. uh, she did a gig, I think it was 86th Street Club, opening up for uh, the uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band at the time. Oh, very cool. Okay, and good. It was yeah. really exciting because it had never happened to me, you know, uh, I'm a songwriter, but not not prolific songwriter by any means. But uh, there she was up there, and she sounded great, and she had a good little band with her. And she pointed out Lorraine, my sister, and me as the writer of these songs. Well, that was a oh, really wow. cool feeling. I'd never felt that Very feeling cool. before. You know? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Oh, that's Thank good. You. So was it uh, Love in My Heart, Giddy Up Cowboys? Which which ones? To, it's Only Fair, and I listened to Best Friend and Lover. Yeah, uh, Weekend Sinner was one of them, and... Uh, Love when you need it It's somewhere out of sight Where is love tonight That was another oh, one. Oh, that's cool Yeah, I recognize yeah, that a few of them Pretty country, you know Pretty the lyrics, <laughs> definitely And I, I played out, played it out I, I did it on a yeah. drum machine Because I never really thought about What it was going to do but yeah, right. uh, we, we pretty much caught the cool. uh, caught the concept. Yeah. Well, it was cool. Like I said, I've often said to people at an interview because it's retro Canadian music makers. But we we lived at the best time. I mean, I'm a oh. little bit younger than you, but I mean, to grow up in the '60s and '70s and all the great music, and, and we listened to everything from Cat Stevens to Led Zeppelin, everything yes. in between. Yes. And what a great time! Isn't that so? so yeah. And then you played uh, with Bruce Coughlin. I guess you played in Tiller's Folly for a while, right? That was yes, the, I did. We did an Celtic. album together. So the Celtic flavor was right up your alley too, I guess, right? You could, yeah, you being a, an island kind of boy. But uh, it's it just funny, Dan, that some of these things, you just you just kind of, without even thinking about it, you dug deep and it came out. I yeah. mean, it's it's, a, it's an interesting thing that, you know. Yeah, because that's that pretty hard. Like, like Bruce is very much the Celtic guy, right? So he's in he that is. lane and that's the lane that he stays in. Yeah, and he's the original so, Black Irish. I saw him, I thought, oh, you're Spanish. But he's Irish, and we know yeah. the, we know the history of that. And went, how cool, how cool well, is yeah. that? You know, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and then you had some other stuff. You played the, the Lounge Hounds. That is that one of your latest projects? Is that? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of kids. Well, kids are forty, but that's kids to me, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and they're yeah. okay. I'm trying to give them the benefit of, of what I've known without saying it, just by showing by uh, by example. And uh, yeah. they're pretty limited, but um, they were Rocky Billy. And a bit okay. too much Rocky Billy, as uh, I, I thought. The hero was uh, Street Cats. But then yeah. as, as uh, a year went on, that's all they knew how to do. And I thought, well, we got to, right. you don't need a mission, guys. And so it's hard, it was hard for them, and it still is, for them to move forward in, say, a little right. bit of theory or songwriting or structure things. Yeah. And so well, it is what yeah. it is, and it's fun to do because they're yeah. on it. And uh, and that's where it's at. And I'm playing with them still, not a lot, but enough. And no. and and it's, it's okay. Yeah, man, it's okay. Yeah, good. Well, you bring a lot to the table for them, and and of course with the diversity again, that's been my strength to make a living. Like I've had to do a bunch of different things. So and if you you're just well, in Dad. one lane, Holy well, shit, I appreciate man. it. <laughs> but uh, you know, if you're just in one lane, it's a bit tough. I mean, if you're a bluegrass band, where are you going to play? Exactly. 
exactly, know, where are you going to play? Know. A couple of gigs once in a while, and that's about yeah. it, right? So You know, Dan, um, uh, yeah. for example, uh, we were talking about, uh, say, st- st- studio guys. The song, uh, uh, 50 Ways to Lose Your Lover, Paul Simon. Yeah. Right? Well, because uh, I've often said this to people who are being hired by somebody to play, like uh, an individual instrument. And in my mind, when they're sitting there with their acoustic guitar and playing the song for you, in my mind, I'm thinking to me, what am I going to play in this? Because this is your chance to to play something. What are you going to play? Yeah. yeah. Well, I th- and I thought, I looked back and I thought, I bet any money that Paul Simon, Mr. Simon, came on to Steve Gadd and said, Steve, <laughs> could you give us like a 16-bar drum intro? Okay, how about this? And you know what the intro yeah. is. It's like, yeah. whoa! Now that is an example of you have lots to draw from. So he didn't just play yeah. the obvious. He played it and made it so cool that it was the right thing to do. That, 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 that applies to all the instruments. You know, the bass player, yeah. well, you know, we try and work together on keyboards and whatnot. You have to, it just comes from you. And and, and, and you're, you're, you're more or less asking yourself, what am I going to play? It's up to me. And yeah. you do. And if everybody does, then it's magic. Yeah. Well, yeah. the example I was going to give was Kenny Aronoff when he played Jack and oh, Diane. Because yes. they said, well, you got to play a drum fill here. And he said, I was walking up to the drums. I had no idea what I was going to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could tell I heard it, but okay, okay. I bet you, I bet you yeah. Did, yeah, had something to say about that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you just said, well, that's what came out. And it's, yeah. of course, it's iconic, iconic now. I mean, everybody. Isn't that funny? You know, eh? uh, yeah. yeah. I liked Kenny. And, it was uh, oh, solid. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, he played with Fogarty. I saw him with Fogarty about 10 years ago and Fogarty loved him because he was just, he kicked him in the butt. He said, just yeah, played. that's so, good. Kenny was neat. Yeah. And what was your connection with uh, Danny Cassavant? Because he was, he played with Graham Shaw. I had Graham Shaw on the podcast, man. He's a funny guy. He was just great. Yeah. But um, uh, what was your contact with Danny Cassavant? Because he came out here from Winnipeg, right? Yeah. I didn't really know him until, ooh, the nineties maybe. Okay. And he was freelancing. And we got to sit in at the Yale with a couple of uh, jams and with the jams that were actually good as opposed to some of them today with the players yes. are pro. And um, yeah. we just sort of knew each other and uh, he subbed here and I subbed there. And okay. and that's about it, Dan. We just never really uh, had any band. I don't think he's yeah. really been in one particular group, but he could, he could play a whole lot of stuff and he was a charming man. And, oh yeah, uh, no, great player, it worked yeah. out really quite well for him. I well, he played with Bob White for years until Bob ah. passed away. What was that band? Uh, <laughs> I, Ooh, poo. You know the band. It was Bob White and Danny Casavant, and then they had a couple other guys in and out. But they were quite a well-known band. The name escapes me now. But um, gosh, yeah. And then Robbie Steininger. Did you play with him? Oh yes, I just uh, yeah. I discovered a picture of uh, of uh, uh, Rob. Well, it was the band was called The Push. And right. Mike Jacobs was the singer. He was an R&B singer, a white okay. guy who was outstanding, and it was myself, Rob Steiniger, uh, Lawrence Knight from Tiller's Folly. Yeah. I, know, and, I know Lawrence well, yeah. Yes, and John Ferreira. No, oh, and I know Johnny. He plays on our Bob Seger shows. I'm playing yeah, with Johnny in yeah. three weeks. And he was so. with uh, Colin for a long time. And there was First, the band, yeah. a picture with, holy smoke, we lasted about a year because awesome. we, we were just – too, I don't know, I can't say too good, but we just had some nice stuff going on. And yeah. Michael sang oh, yeah. the pants out of this stuff. And yeah. he just had enough, I guess. It wasn't going anywhere. And he just kind of moved back to, to the States. And it was a shame because okay. that was a fun band. It really was. Well, Robbie was, uh, now is Robbie still with us or did he did he pass? 
Yeah, he's still with us, Dan. I, I know we did okay. uh, an album with Lynn Taylor Donovan a few years back, okay. and Rob yeah. played some guitar, and and we all got paid well. And uh, yeah. I know we made a lady, and I think he had some kids, and uh, okay. Great without going too far, I believe uh, he kind of, you know, yeah. it was either me or, or you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And well, he disappeared. I don't think he plays yeah. anymore, Dan. I don't think so. Oh, really? He was it's excellent. A shame. He really was great, wasn't yeah. he? Really good, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to ask you about that connection. And and the other thing was, did you were you in that the Jones Boys? Did you join that house gig for a while out in out in uh, Harrison? In Harrison. Yeah. Yes, I did. Um, good story behind this. It's probably one of my worst stories, I should say. But but um, yeah. I joined uh, and I was there about two years. Uh, the only person left from the original Jones Boys that were there for twenty five years. Wow. was uh, Ian Putz, who was a good horn player, and he taught okay. in uh, in Vancouver. And um, Ernie Britton took over the keyboards and left-hand bass, and Trevor McDonald played some guitar. And we yeah. learned some pretty cool tunes, but my my thing, I think I was a little too pushy and demanding because the band sounded really, really good for a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then it didn't seem to matter, but I thought, this is the copper room and international crowds and we get yeah. a chance to do this stuff and learn all the Latin stuff, all the dances, because all the people that came could do tangos, rumbas, cha-chas. Right. No? Yeah. And, um, and uh, oh, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, uh, Ian and I ended up having some difference of opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to well, tell you, Dad, I got to say it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you probably. Well, favorite. that's okay. I mean, the thing is, I, I've never, in, in all my years of playing, I've never done a house gig because I always felt that that would suck the life out of me. I want to stay hungry. And, I, and for you, having done so many different things, just to sort of punch the clock and go to the same place every I week. I couldn't do it anymore, Dan. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. I just, yeah. That was all you not, did not from. Always. Yeah, Monday to Saturday, that was it. And yeah. I, I couldn't imagine that. But uh, Ian came on to me, like, uh, right to my face and said, um, you got a problem with me? Why don't you man up? So I punched him. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, there you Sorry. go. Sorry. And I got fired for it. <laughs> but that's okay. I couldn't help it. It was reflex. I was on the hockey ice again, you know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's funny. Well, these but I, I meant no disrespect. It was just, you know, how it is, you yeah. know? Yeah, no, yeah. that's it. Interesting. Well, I mean, you've done so much stuff. It's so cool to hear about. I, I, I really wanted to talk to you about it and ask you about it. But uh, so another question I had, yeah. I usually ask my guests is when you started out playing music, did you have like a plan? Did you have, I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that? Or did you <laughs> just kind of follow your nose wherever it goes? Yeah. Good question. Uh, I just could, I could sit down when I f sat down behind a friend of mine's drum kit the first drum kit i ever sat behind i, I could play it because i had boxes that i could play it but uh i could play and and then as i said earlier i've got this job with uh the wafers when they changed their name and we started writing stuff and we were hot and we'd open up for the who the cream spencer davis the oh. uh, herman's hermits blues oh. magoos uh yeah. and and on and on and uh and that was so cool because we wrote all our own stuff. And we wrote a, okay. a half an hour suite called Jennifer's Career and Death. And yep. we also wrote a, 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 a trilogy um, called uh, Timeless Tales. And when we opened up for The Who the first time or the second time, we did our suite because we were allowed a half an hour. And we got along mm. with those guys just famously. Oh, and the cool. next time they came, they said, uh, can you guys do an extra 15 minutes? Oh, you know, we could do 45. So we had just by chance had written a trilogy. So we had two pieces of music that took up 45 minutes. Nice. And uh, it was outstanding. So we did a lot of stuff. And that was the only 
it was just so good that we could contribute uh, to the music what you thought would be right. And as it turned out, all the players were thinking alike, all focused, yeah. all all uh, all ears. And it just went from there, Dan. Uh, it just was so great that I was spoiled. All these tunes and creativity and singing that yeah. I just followed my nose, you know, and yeah. just had confidence yeah. in, in what I could do, I think. So did you think that band was going to make it to somewhere big and get some hits and, and do the whole take the ride, so to speak? I think so, Dan. You know, we did, uh, we never were commercial. We didn't do Top 40. We were never that kind of band. We did our own thing, and yet we were revered. In Edmonton, we were the only band yeah. doing that, and we'd look great, right. and we... Uh, and uh, um, uh, it was just, it was just so great, so great that yeah. Oh, what can but I you, say? So you weren't, you weren't chasing hit songs or pop songs or anything. It doesn't. No, we're like just it. strictly writing cool things. Like the suite was half an hour long, and tunes yeah. that were just so different. We took uh, mm. sort of a lead, maybe because we opened up for the Who and Stevie Winwood and the Spencer Davis and. And all yeah. those bands were good, the McCoys. So we thought, well, we can do, you know, we didn't even think that. We just did our rendition of our tunes. And then we eventually yeah. went back east. I don't know how our parents let us do that because we had just finished grade 10 and, right. and all of the band, we all went back along with our manager and our roadies. Like, how did our parents allow us to do that, you know? Oh, yeah. Other than yeah. not being allowed back in school because of our long hair. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so we went back yeah. east and tried things, opened up for Wilson Pickett and... But we were just this other kind of band, and uh, yeah. and we weren't an Eastern band. We had this cool music, but it wasn't. It was so different that uh, yeah. it just was out of place, I guess. You know. Well, yeah, and your your overriding point is a good one because the record companies want to sell records, right? Yes. You want to create yes. art and do your thing, and being different is cool when you're in your situation. Yeah, but the but. record companies they want, <laughs> you know, yeah, give me something I can sell, right? So yeah, but then moving so to Vancouver, money, Dan, yeah. sorry, yeah, go ahead. Mo Yes, moving to Vancouver was pretty cool, just because, uh, as I said earlier, having met some of the players that would, came from Vancouver to Edmonton, I, I, I knew I had to go to a bigger place, because we tried yeah. it in Edmonton, and we got a good following, but we couldn't do anything. We were kind of screwed around a bit, I believe, because maybe we were intimidating, or we were, whatever it was, you know, but uh, yeah. I had to move on, and Vancouver was my choice, and uh, yeah. met all kinds of cool people, and... Uh, moved forward in the best way I knew. Yeah. And did you tour a lot? Did you like touring? Yes. Touring yeah. was fun. It, uh, I was never a, a sex, drugs, and rock and roll twit, you know? It was, no, you didn't get caught up in the party scene? or No way. No way. No? That was, and Hometown Man was the epitome of that. Even the Hans Steiner when we toured. No way. We would never, yeah. never go there. Never. Okay. And it was so neat. Cool. We weren't like overly wholesome. We just... We had priorities, and the playing and the and the music was the, the priority, and we never yeah. did that. Not in the tour bands I was with. And if there was any, yeah. I was subbing for somebody on a tour band, and they were doing some silly stuff, I would just walk away because that wasn't yeah. the point for me for playing and touring. You'd be an upstanding person, you know. Well, yeah, fair enough, and and we see that through the examples of a lot of guys were just in it for the sex drugs rock and roll and once yes. the, the sex and drugs went away the music went away for them too right that's that's so, right you know and we saw that especially through the 80s i saw lots of guys go in and out of the music business just for the ride that they were taking but i love the music that's why i play music because i love yeah. music and so you you've traveled lots and uh, what about the states you ever go down to the states you ever think of moving down there or, or trying to make your mark down there 
Well, no, I, I'm not a fan of America. I mean, I, I love I love some of the people, just just certain issues, especially in certain genres and scenes. Yeah, we uh, hometown band Bali and hometown band toured. We did uh, quite a bit. We did uh, a lot of things in L.A., Atlanta, Philadelphia. We played quite a bit down there. We didn't make a lot of money, but yeah. it wasn't bad for the package. But uh, it wasn't selling, and we were still we were different because the, the hometown was too, just different. It was just different, yeah. you know. Fear of flying was as close as we got, but uh, we didn't have any yeah. of the, the the AM tunes per se, you know. But it was fun, oh, and we I went to Poland with Voldy. Oh, nice! Yeah, that was interesting. And I brought yeah. back a jazz record, a Polish jazz record, and it was oh, cool. very interesting. You know, it was like very schooled jazz, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, well, I was going to say a lot of Canadian artists, you know, they want to go down to the States and sort of make their mark down there, but you're a smaller fish in a much bigger pond and you have to have the dollars behind you. You got to have the tunes behind you and then management and money and the cost of producing albums and, and those things, you know, it's, yeah. it's a real different world, right? Absolutely, Dan. And, and you know, uh, just why don't you go to New York, go to LA? Well, sure, you could be the best drummer in the world, but you ain't from around here, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're and on my what? territory. I'm the number one. Don't you try and kick me off my, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's, it's tough. Even if you are a fabulous, you've got to find a way by being a, a really fine person, honest, good player, check your ego at the door and just do what you do without being a dick. Excuse the language, yeah. you know? Yeah, fair and enough. You will yeah, get noticed, well, yeah. Yeah. I asked you before if you had a plan or what your aspiration was. Did you, did you reach your aspirations? Did you do everything you wanted to do or is there something else you would have liked? Well, I, I never thought of the future uh, very far ahead. Uh, I knew that I wanted to play because it was so much fun and, and uh, I just went with the flow. And as time went on and here we are today, it turns out that I've done a whole lot of cool stuff that I would never have thought I was going to do, but it was always going to be music and writing and singing. And it was just so, so good and so right. And it came so natural, Dan. I, you know, I couldn't believe it sometimes. It just came so natural. And we found yeah. the players that were as natural. And uh, things happened and all the accomplishments, they just came in, in and... And yes, I could say yes, you know. Uh, I would no. like to have stayed together in a very first band forever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I said, I want to stay together yeah. forever. But that didn't happen. Yeah. But uh, yes, yeah. uh, I'm very satisfied, man. Uh, yeah, I met you... some great people and it was a beautiful thing. Well, you made your mark for sure on the Canadian music scene. So what would you, is there anything you would change looking back? Would you would make decisions differently or bandmates or studios and... Not really, because a lot of it, uh, well, the playing part or uh, whom I was going to play with was my own choice, even if I was asked. But uh, I liked it because I made a point of learning as many genres as I can, as I yeah, could. For sure. So if I was yeah. to get hired, I could have a lot to draw from. And if it was folk, I'd play folk drums. If it was Latin, I'd play Latin drums, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And that really was good. fun. So I got a chance to go there, you know, like Santana. I mean, people yeah. think it's straightforward, but you listen to all that stuff and it's so oh, the uh, Gypsy Kings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I can yeah, say well, that. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I think it was about 20 years ago. I was trying to connect with you because you're the kind of guy that I needed. I needed a drummer uh -huh. and I wanted someone who sang and played and stuff. And you were, your name was on the list and I tried to contact you, but it just, I think you were busy. You had a couple other projects going on or something. We talked briefly about it, but. Uh, no, I saw you, Dan, at the uh, at Merit, and I thought, who's the drummer you had? Well, we um, had Ian, who had played with uh, Nick Gilder. Yeah, and who's the guy? One so, time I saw you, and uh, I knew him. I can't remember his had name. He played Dave with, uh, Gustafson. 
Yes, yes. Thank yeah, you. he had played with Michelle Wright and uh, some other blues guys. Yeah, that was a good band, man. That was a good yeah. band, man. Yeah, that was you, fun. Yeah, you it was good. Good. yes, yeah. it was. You were uh, outstanding, man. <laughs> outstanding. I appreciate that. You're welcome, so, mate. Were you ever like in your life, were in the music business, were you ever taken advantage of or mistreated, like the ups and downs of the biz? I guess not getting credited mm, not, for your seasons in the Sun no. album would be. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The pay was either there or not, and I accepted whatever the consequences would be. And yeah. uh, I did get a little, well, to myself, a little upset at some of the mixes that came out of certain records that, okay. that just weren't right. I didn't, but that wasn't my uh, um, decision. But I thought, oh, damn, really? You yeah. know? Yeah. But that's the way that is. Yeah, well, and that's a real taste thing, right? Like the sound and the way it's put together. It's just you, some guys hear it one way and some guys hear it another way. Yeah, and if absolutely. it's not your choice, if you're not the producer, you don't get to, you don't you don't get get to make that call. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, what sacrifices did you make along the way? Did you have a family and, and uh, relationships or did you were you touring too much? Or? No, actually, uh, I had a girlfriend for oh, good 15 years and uh, I wasn't doing a lot of touring at that point because it started in Edmonton. And um, right. the family just never came up, never got married for no apparent reason uh-huh. other than yeah. uh, women, you know, not many of them, but I thought I loved. But when I dig deep, it was like, well, not enough to start a family. And I knew, uh, and it wasn't a bad thing, that if I start a family, that'd be the end of it, you know? Right. The, the beginning yeah. of that, but the end of, I couldn't go and play, I couldn't tour, I couldn't do what I, I've done with a family. You're a little tough, that, you know. It would yeah. be, you know. So, yeah. so uh, yeah. um, no real... Um, no real sacrifices at all. I remember, as I was saying earlier, with the wafers, and we'd all, uh, Graham had already uh, finished school, but the rest of us, we just finished grade 10. So yeah. my mom said, well, you can go as long as you take, to finish your grade 12. So I did by correspondence. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I ask people that because, you know, some people really did sacrifice a lot to, to yes. pursue their career. Other people just said, you know, it's my lifestyle choice. I love playing and traveling. I love music. I, yeah. I didn't sacrifice anything because I was doing what I love to do. Yeah, not sacrificing and, and, and the lifestyle, but it was a good lifestyle. You know, there's yeah. no messing around on the road. You, you ate properly. You, you, you did good things and you weren't an idiot. And uh, yeah. so that was a good lifestyle, but you needed the freedom to do it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So what are you doing now? Like, what do you, what do you got going on right now? You'd be doing some gigs and still working or yeah, semi-retired? Yeah, I'm in, yes. I'm living out in uh, not Chilliwack, pretty close to Chilliwack, Sardis. And I got that okay, little yeah. uh, trio together, the Hounds. And yeah. um, I got a friend, uh, Kyle Stein, who worked in the movie industry. We do some uh, collaborating. I uh, nice. did an album with uh, Rick Hopkins and uh, Barry Nicewander. Uh, uh, yeah. Rick Hopkins being the organ player for, and uh, funny how this went, Dan. Uh, 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 Rick Hopkins lives in Lions Bay, so he called me up to come and play some music with a friend of his from Edmonton, and so I played uh, about we did about nine tunes, and it was just Rick and I, him and his Hammond, and me and the drum kit at his place. Uh, doing these tunes which I had never heard and I didn't know the big picture and he co-wrote them but and the funny thing Dan it was, it was quite remarkable it was just him and I laying down the beds and, and we'd mm. kind of look at each other and know what's going to go on because he didn't completely know is this a stop is this a push is this a whatever yeah. so we did nine tunes with just the two of us and then I didn't hear anything until the CD was finished and uh, Barry called me up and said oh you got your CD ready I went oh great and then I hung up and went what CD is that? <laughs> <laughs> it 
it was six wow. years. Oh, and I geez. listened and went, nice. Now that was neat. All various musicians and singers. And uh, uh, who was the uh, producer? Um, anyway, it was, so it was you recorded really a, the bed tracks. Yeah. Just, just the two, yeah. two guys. And then, and, and then, uh, Stephen Drake, he, he took okay. it to another world. And I thought, nicely done, man. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, Cause I picked up everything that Rick and I did not knowing okay. the big picture was going to be. Yeah. You know? And oh, that was cool. fun as heck. Little things like that, yeah. Dan still come across, you know, and not as many yeah. cause I'm a hundred years old pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I knew you were still active. I just thought, you know, I, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm just going to taper off and just you, pick and choose. And I'm, gonna, but I'm still hungry. I'm still doing my thing, and I'm busy as I've ever yes. been right now. But that will nice. obviously at some point that will that yeah. will subside. But uh, it's in our blood, man, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just I'm thankful. I just found as I've gotten older, I'm even more thankful to be able to yes. sing and play music. So it makes you even better. And we are yeah. getting better. It's funny, like if listen, going, you know, I'm almost playing better than ever. In a yeah. funny sense, maybe it's the whole package has finally come to a fruition. Well, just, you know? Yeah, smooth and confident and yes. polished, yes. and just kind of massaging the tunes the yeah, way man. you need to be. Yeah, you know, it's that's what it is, right? And, totally yeah, satisfying so too. Yeah, absolutely. Dan. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's left for you to do? What's on your bucket list? You're going to keep going and recording some stuff and doing some well, gigs. Well, um, I was thinking of uh, going back to Edmonton for four days to visit uh, a couple of friends. They have a uh, little uh, little kind of club. It's uh, for drummers. And oh. a few of them, uh, uh, Tommy Doran and uh, Dwayne Phelan, a bunch of guys from Edmonton uh, had passed on. But they have a club. It's uh, drummers, and they call it uh, God, Grumpy Old Drummers. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so I'd go and probably go visit for the remaining drummers <laughs> and say hello and then come back home. But yeah. uh, in oh, the future, cool. Dan, you know, I don't know. I'm just sort of riding it. I'm 74. I feel great. I have no health yeah. issues and I'm just yeah. going with the flow now. So I'm ready for anything pretty much. Man. Yeah. And you can still sing and play and you're still active. Absolutely. That's great. I great still got hear. my voice and that's a, I'm, I'm thankful for yeah. that. Well, yeah. it's good. We just, uh, two weeks ago, we got to hang out with Kim Burley nice. from the Stampeders and he's 75. He just turned 75 and he's yeah. still playing and stuff too. And I went and saw them and they sounded great. So that was a good band that, uh, Tweet, sweet city woman, you know, Excellent. that was yeah. out of Calgary. I went, Ooh, that's pretty, uh, national, Excellent. international, you know, yeah, that was, uh, so. you didn't see too many Canadian bands come up with that kid. April wine did a bum, 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 and Terry Mercer was playing four and the song was in three. And it was like, nice, <laughs> nice. <you know? laughs> well, that's right. Cause I, cause I said that to Kim, like he, he did what a thousand other bands tried to do and couldn't do. Exactly. So, he, you know, he lots of bands and you've seen it all through the seventies and the sixties and into the eighties, all these bands are trying to get the right formula together so they can make it, you know, so they can get a record deal and take the ride. Yeah. And almost nobody does. It's very rare. Absolutely. Right? Especially today. It's, uh, you don't need a label. I mean, you can get oh, yeah. technology together. You can just, you don't buy records and people don't buy CDs, you know, so you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Many thanks to Jeff Eyre for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his long and varied career in the music business. I really enjoyed it and uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. We also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Hare.